Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I'm going to cover Hebrews 9, verses 23 through 28, the last six verses of chapter 9. Our context is this. In the second part, in the middle part of Hebrews chapter 9, the author of the book of Hebrews emphasized over and over again that the new covenant was a blood covenant. He emphasized blood, 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 blood. Now here in the last part of chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, we'll see that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Why? Because he carried his blood into the heavenly tabernacle, heaven, into the holy of holies up there in the sky, if you will. So we'll start with Hebrews 9:23. Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with the sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. All right, copies of the things in the heavens, that refers to the Old Testament tabernacle. They were copies. They were shadows of the reality in heaven. They had to be purified. It was necessary that they be purified with blood. Why was it necessary? So that the types and the antitypes would correspond, so that the shadows and the ultimate reality would correspond. It was necessary. God said, you purify this with blood, because that shows that to be purified with blood in heaven To be purified in heaven, you have to be purified with blood, just like people on earth have to be Levitically or ritualistically purified with blood on earth. Now, these sacrifices, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. Those these sacrifices refer to blood sacrifices. The previous verse in Hebrews 9.22 said this, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. As I mentioned, the last middle section of Hebrews 9 emphasized the necessity of blood to purify things. The heavenly things, as opposed to the earthly tabernacle, heavenly things in heaven, things with God, spiritual things, they have to be purified with better sacrifices than with all the blood of bulls and goats. Now, this phrase, heavenly things, need to be purified with better sacrifices. Actually, heavenly things, some people have a different idea of what's talking about. The most common interpretation and the most straightforward interpretation is that the heavenly things are heaven itself. They are being set, it's being set apart for the reception of believers. So it's being purified by blood so that, so that believers can get into heaven. Some people say it's not heaven itself, but the entrance into heaven since heaven is the entrance of the Holy of Holies, God's throne room where he lives. Now, it's interesting, heavenly things, if you take that, heavenly things to be heaven, you would think, well, heaven doesn't need to be purified. It belongs to God. Why do you need to purify it? Well, it really means that, Well, and that means some, and, and because of that, some people say that the heavenly things that need to be purified is the church, because the church needs to be purified before it can enter into the Holy of Holies up there in heaven. Adam Clark even suggests it's the physical body of Christ that needs to be purified. I don't buy that one for a minute. So it's either heaven or it's the church going into heaven that needs to be purified with blood. We go to verse 24. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Now here the author is resuming the thought that he had in Hebrews 9.12, which says this. He, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all, the Holy of Holies, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And in verse 24, I'll read it again. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a a model of the true one. So the model is the earthly tabernacle. It's the model. It's the shadow. It's the type. Heaven itself is the antitype. And 
the fra that phrase heaven itself makes me think that that which is being purified in verse 23, what I just talked about, is not really the church, but heaven itself, because the phrase heavenly things is in verse 23, and then in verse 24, the Messiah entered into heaven itself. So it sounds like the heavenly things that are being purified by blood is heaven itself, where the Messiah is entering into. So Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies in heaven, the heavenly Holy of Holies, if you will, so that he might now, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Presence of God means in the face of God, standing before God's face. He comes for us, for us Christians, as an advocate and an intercessor. Here's some scriptures that express that thought. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Romans 8.34, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. We have an advocate who intercedes for us with the Father in heaven. Hebrews 9.25, the author continues, He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Now here we're going to the, the author is going to emphasize the fact that Jesus did his blood sacrifice once. Not many times, but once, 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 once. And, of course, that's to contrast with the ironic Levitical high priest who had to offer blood sacrifices many, 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 many times, year after year after year. Verse 25 says, Jesus offered himself many times as the high priest. That's the earthly Levitical high priest, the ironic high priest. He enters the sanctuary yearly. Sanctuary, of course, is Holy of Holies. And it's yearly because the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he had to carry blood with him when he went. The fact that he had to do this many times, year on year on year, shows the inferiority of the Levitical high priest, Aaron, and Aaron's descendants. They were inferior to Jesus, who only had to go into his heavenly sanctuary once. Hebrews 9.26, Otherwise, the author continues, he, Jesus, would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, there's the theme. Jesus wants Levitical priest over and over again, high priest over and over again, once a year. Now, Jesus has appeared one time. That means he appeared on earth one time at the first advent to offer his sacrifice. Compare, again, the Catholic view of the Mass, the Roman Catholic view which says that the wine is transubstantiated into blood and offered every week, so the sacrifice is offered over and over again. That doesn't seem to comport with the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 26, does it? Now, Jesus appeared one time at his first advent at the end of the ages. Now, when you see that phrase, at the end of the ages or last days or ages like or expressions like that, it's referring to the end of the old covenant order, the end of the rabbinic kingdom, the apostate Jews. The pre-Messianic age, the end of the ages is over, that age is over, and then the Messiah comes, and now you're in the Messianic age. Now, some people can quibble a little bit on what this does mean, end of the ages. Does it mean the very end of the Old Testament era? Or the Old Testament era, of course, is a good thing, but the Pharisaic and the, the, the Pharisees' perversion of that Old Testament order created the apostate Jewish kingdom. And so sometimes the last days refers to that. 
And sometimes the phrase end of the ages means that last period in the pre-Messianic age, not the whole pre-Messianic age. Well, I'm not going to quibble over that. It just means the Old Testament. He's appeared one time at the end of the Old Testament because that was the last days, the last days of the Old Testament order. does not mean the end of the world, the last days of the world. We have to interpret the Bible according to the way it was written and to the people to whom it was written. And it was written to Jews who understood that phraseology. It meant the end of the messianic age, pre-Messianic age. So he, Jesus appeared one time for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, of course, removing a sin means doing away with believers' sins if you believe in him. That's straightforward. Adam Clark comes up with a weird idea here. He says this is doing away with the Old Testament sacrifices for sin that the author's talking about. So it would read for the removal of sin sacrifices by the sacrifice of himself. I don't think so. I think it's just talking about removing of the believer's sin. Hebrews 9.27 And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment, and we'll stop in the middle of the sentence there, it was appointed. Now, what was appointed? For people to die once? That There's some options there. The first option is, is God decided that man should physically die because of man's sin. So just as it has been appointed by God to die, when he did to die one time, with no other second chance to come back to life and die again, and that was done because of his sin. That's what could be what the appointing is about. Or it could be God decides how long each person shall live. So the appointment is appointment for a certain lifespan. And just as it's appointed for people to die at the end of their appointed lifespan one time, say 78 years, it's appointed for that person one time for him to die. I don't think so. I think it's because God appointed people to die for their sins. And they have one shot at it. They die. And then after that judgment comes. Now, of course, that judgment could be the judgment they receive as soon as they die and see Jesus. Or it could be the great white throne judgment at the end of time after the general final resurrection of the living and the just. Excuse me, of the just and the unjust. It doesn't really say. But the point is, is every human being is going to die with, with some small exceptions. I'll talk about the exceptions in a minute. But the overwhelming great majority of human beings will die one time. And then they're going to get judged. There's a point to all this. The point is, just as people die once, Jesus died once. Because he is the ultimate man, right? He's the ultimate human being. And so he doesn't die over and over again like these. And he doesn't have to offer his blood over and over again like the Levitical high priest does. He has to offer the blood of animals over and over again. So that's the emphasis on once. once. Likewise, as far as people are concerned, they have to die once and then they're judged. One chance. So I think the once is being used for double duty here. Jesus dies once and people die once. Our high priest dies once. He doesn't need to die again. And he gives life. And people die once, which means you've got one chance to get what the high priest offers. To get the advantage and the benefits of that blood sacrifice that Jesus gave one time when he died. Now, it says it is appointed for people to die once. That means most people. There were some exceptions, as Gill and Clark point out. Enoch, for example, didn't die. He was taken straight to heaven. How about those alive at Jesus' second coming? They're not going to die. At least the Christians are not. They're going to be instantly changed in the twinkling of an eye. How about Elijah? He was carried up, you know, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to take me home. Elijah went up in the fiery angelic chariots. Here's what Adam Clark says about this. Men generally, during the course of the present world, not all men, as some falsely quote, he's talking about men generally die once, but not all men. 
For Enoch and Elijah have not died, and those that shall be alive in the day of judgment shall not die, but be changed. All right, with those exceptions, we all are going to die once. And that die is talking about physical death. There's some other exceptions to the fact that all people die once. How about resuscitations, near-death and pre-death experiences? I realize some Christians think these things aren't real. There's too much evidence, folks. Those things are real. But there is some point by which they can't come back to life as they go through their spiritual experiences they realize that there's a point in time where they can come back to earth or they can not come back and if they if they don't come back they've died once so i don't think we'll put resuscitations in there that's just that's coming close to death death is when you're permanently your spirit is permanently permanently divorced from your body that happens one time for most of us and after that comes the judgment ecclesiastes 12:14 says for god will bring every act to judgment including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. It's all going to be judged, folks, everything you did. You better be covered with the blood of Jesus come judgment time because you're not going to be able to justify yourself. I know too many human beings, myself included, who are filthy, dirty, rotten, miserable sinners. I don't care how good they were during this life. They come before God and they are going to be in a world of trouble unless their sins are covered. You know, people would live a lot differently if they took this to heart, that every hidden thing, whether good or evil, was going to come to judgment. Now, this judgment, as Gill points out, could either be individual judgment after the individual Christian dies and goes to heaven. I don't know if the Bible says anything about that. Or it could be, as Gill and Clark affirm, universal judgment at the end of the world, the, the great white throne judgment mentioned at the end of Revelation. This occurs, of course, after Jesus' second coming and after the resurrection of the dead. Hebrews 9:28. Well, that's in the middle of a sentence, so let me read verse 27. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment, verse 28. So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So there you have a parallel in these two verses. The Messiah dies once. People die once. Messiah dies once. Again, as opposed to the Aaronic high priest, the Levitical high priest, who had to die Excuse me, not, of course he had to die, but he had to offer sacrifices for sins once over and over again, but Jesus only had to do it once. This idea, of course, is mentioned over and over again in the book of Hebrews. So also the Messiah, having been, uh, been offered once to bear the sins of many, he didn't say all, he didn't say Jesus bore the sins of all. This refutes the heresy of ultimate reconciliation. That unfortunate heresy is denied by this verse because Jesus bore the sins of many, but not all. There's a condition offered to, the, to, to describe those who have their sins borne. Salvation to those who are waiting for him. And folks, most people on this earth are not waiting for Jesus, and they've got no right to complain when they don't get into heaven. So Jesus, having died once, will appear a second time. That word appears, arao, Strong's definition, has to look at, behold, to allow oneself to be seen or to appear. It has the idea of physically seeing with your eyes, so this makes me think this is not Jesus' coming judgment in eighty seventy, which the author of Hebrews was anticipating in several passages in the book. But here, it's talking about Jesus appearing where you can physically see him. There is no idea of coming in this appearing. It's physically seeing, according to Strong's definition that I looked up. No idea of coming in the definition. So this is, and most every commentator I looked at, took this second appearance to refer to what we call the second coming. Now, second coming really ought to be the second appearance. He appeared once at the first advent or the first coming. 
and he appeared a second time at the end of the world when he came back again. It is confusing, though, because Jesus came in judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. I, I just lump AD 70 and AD 30 together and call it the first advent, the first coming, which involved his death, his resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then the judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. Judgment, all of that runs together with his first coming. The second coming is at the end of the world. But again, the terminology is confusing. You could say, well, Jesus came the first time when he was born in AD 30. Then he came the second time in judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. Then he's going to come at the end of the world to resurrect the saints. That's the third coming. Well, we don't talk like that. We don't say the third coming. So it's the second coming, although technically it's the third coming. But we won't go there. This idea of seeing Jesus' physical return, this is very important because of certain heresies like Hymenaeus and Alexander had in the first century. And as, as certain hyper-preterist heretics have today who deny the physical return of Jesus at the end of the world. Here's what Acts 1, 9 through 11 says. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, as they were looking, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So they saw him physically leave. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. So they were gazing into heaven. They were looking up. They saw him physically leave. They, these angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. You saw him go into heaven. He's going to come in the same way. You're going to see him coming back. Physical sight. And when he comes... He's not going to be bearing sin. He did that the first time. He's going to be bringing salvation. Spiritual, what are the options of salvation? Spiritual salvation from hell? Salvation from earthly persecution? Maybe both. Probably both. It's going to be a fun time for those who eagerly wait for him, for his return. Ladies and gentlemen, I am now finished with Hebrews chapter 9. In our next audio, we will begin chapter 10, which my ESV Bible has labeled... Christ sacrifice once for all. So you see that same theme will continue that we've been talking about in chapter 9. We'll continue into chapter 10. I hope you stay tuned for that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one. <laughs>